This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Your guests, we're honored to have you with us. If you're a regular, we're glad you're here too. So we will begin this morning by, if you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, our ushers would gladly present you with a Bible. And you may want to do that because we're going to download a lot of scripture on you today, okay? All right, once you get your Bible, go with me to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Way back there in the back, 1 John chapter 4, we are still on our series Dominion, a couple more weeks. And so as you're turning to 1 John chapter 4, I just want to highlight some of our main scripture texts for the last month we've used. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says that we're to throw off every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. And so we've discussed that, that there are certain types of weight, just being busy, just busy in the things of this world and the the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, but also he said, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So when you look at the weight or the sin, those are designed, I believe, to get you off track to stop your progress with the things of God, and ultimately even to get you to quit or to give up. And so again today, just remember that the the evil in our world is still alive, it's still there. And if I don't heed these things, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble, I'm gonna get off. Now, I'm, I'm called to warn you today, to correct you today through the scriptures. And I'll just tell you right now, I, I realize what I'm gonna talk about today, I'm not going to win a popularity contest, but the truth for every one of us, it demands changes. So let's get into the Word and just get ready and let the Word teach you. 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, what a word, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many, look at that, many false prophets have gone into the world. So he starts out and he says, don't, don't be gullible. And behind every spirit, it moves within a prophet. Whether it's that of God or a false prophet here. And so I, I got to determine their origins, what I'm talking about. Verse 2, by this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So you begin to see here that the acknowledgement or rejection of the Lord Jesus is one of the tests we must go through. And then here in verse 3, he gives us great insight. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not a God. A denial of the truth that Jesus was the incarnate son of God. And so if they don't believe he came in the flesh, I'm telling you, you want to stay away from that. And understand he uses the word many there. Continually with me in here in verse 3. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now look how he defines the spirit of the Antichrist. You have already heard he was coming. And he's now already in the world. And so when we talk about the Antichrist, he epitomizes everything that's men of evil. 
And you see a word there on the last, the last word of verse 4. And it's the word world. And you're going to see that word world mentioned several more times just in verse 4 and 5. And so to define the word world there, it's the current age or the, the value system we live in. The evil that's operating in our world or society right now that's under the dominion of the devil. Now, when you see that, what he's talking about there, that's the world. So what happens here is we have two choices. We're going to live by the things of God or we're going to live by the things of the world. And remember, the world is the devil behind it. He's the influencer of it. Verse 4. You are of God, little children. I'm a child of God, just as we sang today. I'm a child of God. Now, this is a good verse to memorize, a good verse to write down. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The them there is the agents of darkness, the demons and the devil. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Jesus who lives within me is greater than he's in the world. The Holy Spirit that's within us is greater than he who's in the world. So we see something here. Jesus lives on the inside of us. And the thing that separates that is how I acknowledge or receive Jesus. Verse 5. They are of the world. They are of the world. They belong to the world. And they speak of the world. They speak from the world's viewpoint. And the world hears them. The world listens to them. The world responds to them. We are of God, period. I'm a God. He who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, there, there's always a separation. I'm either going to live for the things of God or I'm going to live for the things of the world. And if you'll note here, it's either the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. The spirit of error is deception. I become deceived. We live in a society more and more where the spirit of error is taking place. And what begins to happen is we substitute the word of God for the error, the things of men. To be a kingdom-minded person, I've got to live by the Word of God. I've got to allow the Word of God to, to form me, to fill me. That, that becomes the standard of my life. Now turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to let the Lord Jesus teach us some things pertaining to the darkness in this world. Because spiritual attacks, they're real. There's an evil in this world that's still real, okay? Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadarenes or Gadara. Now, I want to highlight this just a little bit because there's some things within this that I believe will help us. There's talking about they came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, you would have cities of Nazareth, um, Tiberias, Magdala, and Capernaum. When they went across the Sea of Galilee, they came to this area called Gadara. The, the, the region of Gadara 
was dominated by Gentiles. And the reason I highlight this is when you see it's dominated by Gentiles, normally there's a lot of idolatry. With idolatry, you get witchcraft. And with witchcraft, you get huge manifestations of the devil. So again, they're going into this Gentile region. Verse 3, verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. The New Living says a man possessed by an evil spirit. The Amplified says under the power of an unclean spirit. So now we begin to see something within this man that this demonic entity had taken residence within him. So this is in the Bible. Some of our society right now, we want to ignore this. Some within the church pretend that this doesn't happen anymore. And then you have more and more that dismiss this as just fictional. But it's interesting to me that the writers of the scripture, the New Testament, they talk about demons as a reality and even the Lord Jesus. Now here's an interesting thought for you. In the great commission that the Lord gives us in Matthew or Mark 16, he says, number one, we're to preach the gospel to every creature. We're all in agreement. We still need to do that. He says, we're to lay hands on the sick in his name and they'll recover. Some are in agreement with that. But then the third thing he says is in, in Mark 16, 17, he said, in my name, you'll cast out devils. Now, if the devil's not real, if the devil doesn't exist anymore, then Jesus was, was strongly deceived. I don't believe Jesus was deceived. I believe this still happens. The problem oftentimes in America, we don't see that that much because when people are demon-possessed in our nation, we really, really, we drug them or we lock them up. Now, if you go into a third-world country, you'll still see it. It's manifested. So this guy comes out of the tombs. Think about that thought right there. He comes out of the cemetery. Verse 3. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Now I highlighted in my Bible, no one could tame him. No one could bind him. And so again, it highlights in this verse that he was continually in the tombs. He was continually in the cemetery. Now, this is a creepy thought. But this guy was attracted to death, I believe. You know why? When you talk about a cemetery, people are just dying to go there. Just kidding, okay? <laughs> Again, this is where this guy made his home. Verse 4. Because he had often, often, highlight that, been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. So this man who is demon-possessed, he possesses incredible strength and power. And it goes on to say, and he, in the shackles, he broke into pieces. Again, I highlight, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So I want to highlight just a little bit about this man again. 
He lived in the, tomb, the, the tombs of cemetery. Incredible strength that they couldn't even bind him with chains. It says he cried out day and night. One translation says he was howling. But this last part here really got my attention. It says he was cutting himself. Now, I'm not going to highlight this to, to throw stones at anyone. But I see in our society more and more people that cut themselves. And I've, I've witnessed it. I, I've seen people with their shirt pulled up and I've seen the marks on them. And when I see the mark on them, you know what it does? It really, really, really angers me. Not at the person, but in, in, in order to do this, you've got to be heavily influenced by the devil. This isn't a sign of God, okay? And, and I say that to say this. God will set you free, okay? God loves you. That's not God, all right? That, that is a devil that wants to try to destroy you, okay? Keep reading. And when he saw Jesus from afar off, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Some translation says he shrieked, he screamed. The New Living says it this way. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? The Amplified says, what is common between us, Jesus? The message says, what business do I have with you, Jesus? Now, he says this when the devil's speaking through him. This is the demon speaking through this man. I want to point out something interesting in here. When he sees Jesus, this demon knows precisely who Jesus is. He addresses Jesus and he says, you're the son of the most high God. You're the son of the most high God. Now look what takes place next. I implore you, I beg you by God that you do not torment me. Now, again, this is the devil speaking to him, but I want to highlight something here. Jesus doesn't torment people. The devil torments people. And so, again, this was a, a manifestation that the devil was trying to do right here. Now, this is where we learn as believers that Jesus models something to us, starting in verse 8. For Jesus said to him, Jesus said to the demon, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. So when I look at that, I believe it was a simple command, come out of him. Leave him. Now I highlight that because a few weeks ago we studied in the book of John chapter 14 verse 12. And the Lord Jesus said this, the works that I do you'll do also and greater. And then in John 14, 13 he tells us how in the name of Jesus. So again, when Jesus does this, I believe he's modeling it for me and you. Now, I want to highlight something here. Remember back in verse 4, it said that no man could tame him, no man could, could bind him. But Jesus can. But Jesus can. And 1 John 4, 4 says, greater who's he within us than he who's within the world. So again, I believe Jesus is telling us at times, don't put up with this. Verse 9. 
Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. The name Legion, it, it, or it denotes a well-organized group that possessed great power. So this man responds, my name is Legion for we're many. Now, for time's sake, same chapter, I want you to look with me at verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. Because there's a truth in here I want you to see. Then they came to Jesus. This was the people of Gadara. They came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed. The one who had been demonized. One translation says, the one who was under the devil's influence. Now highlight something here. Look, pay close attention. The one who had been demon-possessed. Who had been. And had the legion. It doesn't say he still has legion. It said, who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. He's sitting and clothed. Evidently, there were times in his life he wasn't clothed. And he's in his right mind. He's in a right state of his mind. And they were afraid. Now, when I look at this, this is what Jesus does. When Jesus sets people free, he puts you back in the right state of mind. Verse 16. And those who saw it told him how it happened and to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they begin to plead with him to depart from their region. Remember, this is an ungodly area. Verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged with him that he might be with him. The thing I want to highlight, the writer really wanted to get two things across to us. Number one, that he had been and number two, that he had been demon-possessed, but he's not no more. And so I believe this is in this passage here, is that the Lord Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. I don't care who you are. And so again, you may not be speaking or spending your weekends in the cemetery, and you may not be running around your neighborhood naked. Let's hope not. But I can still be influenced by the devil. And there's one or two ways that you begin to notice that in your life. And you can ask yourself this question. Do I have a continual weakness in my life that I can't get past? Are there areas of sin in my life that dominate me? Am I gripped constantly by the spirit of fear? How about this? Is there thoughts in my mind that are continually bad or evil? I don't say that to beat you up. I tell you to say this. Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. Now again, I can stand before you and I can tell you you're not looking at a human being that hadn't been in bondage or needed to be set free. I had to be set free. And so again, I thank God that I was around people that knew the authority in Jesus' name. And so I'm a result of someone using the authority of Jesus' name and speaking to my own life. Now turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 10. And I want to highlight some stuff here in Acts that I want you to see something that you're qualified through the blessings of God in Jesus. I want you to see this clearly today. Acts 10 verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. 
God, no, God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't play favoritism. Woohoo! It's good news. I want you to see that right there. God, God's not into any, meeny, miny, mo. He's not into. God doesn't play favoritism. Now watch how the scripture clarifies that. But in every nation, no matter where you're born or where you come from, whoever fears him lives with a reverential fear before him and works righteousness or does what's right, he is accepted by him. Ooh, I, I can be accepted by God. The word, or better yet, the contents of the message which God sent to the, Israel, the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now, when you read this passage, I didn't go in detail here, but what happens, the apostle Peter was sent to the Gentiles. And so the same blessings that God gave to the Jews, he says this to the Gentiles. That's us. Verse 37. That the word you know, that the message you know, or the same message you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How God anointed the Lord Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. So a couple thoughts off of that. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, what about me and you? And so when you get the Holy Spirit, you get power, you get strength, you get ability. And so why did God anoint Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power? Look at this. And he went about doing good. Jesus is about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The Amplified says, those who were harassed by the devil. So one of Jesus' assignments when he came to this earth was to heal or to set free those who are harassed by the devil. I don't know today if you're harassed by the devil, but Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. Now look how he ends this verse. For God was with him. For God was with him. Now Jesus came to this earth for two reasons. Number one, Luke 19, 10, to save and seek that which was lost. And then in 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of darkness. He's done every bit of that. He's done that. You can receive him as Lord of your life. And you can be set free because of what he did also. Now, I want you to go to the book of, of John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in this passage, I'm going to get over onto some areas how we can hinder the things of God in our own lives. None of us are exempt from this. John chapter 8 verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, the church, the synagogue. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Jesus said, I'm going to teach him the word of God. I'm going to teach him the Bible. 
Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they'd set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. This woman was caught red-handed. I want to paint a picture of this a little bit for you, okay? So Jesus comes right here into this temple. And he's preaching and teaching us the word of God. And we're all sent. Man, we are glued to listening to Jesus teach. And all of a sudden, these doors open. And these Sadducees and the Pharisees and the couldn'tsees and the wouldn'tsees, they all come walking in. And, and I kind of picture this. They, they got this woman by her collar. And right here in the midst, they put her and they said, excuse me, Mr. Jesus. We caught this woman red-handed in adultery. Now, I look at that and I think, man, it'd really make you want to go to church, wouldn't it? And I go back and I think, so these guys who drug her in, were they that perfect? Were, were they that righteous? Because Jesus himself said, I, I didn't come for the healthy. I, I came for those who were sick. And, and I can never find in scripture where Jesus resisted a sinful person. I, I never find in scripture where Jesus said, get out of here and go clean your act up and come back. Anytime Jesus got around sinners, the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, he loved them. He accepted them. But I look at this and I think, wait a minute, what's going on here? Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? So now they're talking about having a little rock party and stoning this woman. And the truth of the matter, if you really want to study this even farther, if you went to the law, what they said Moses commanded, it's Leviticus 20 verse 10. But it doesn't say just stone the woman. It said stone the man and the woman. So my thought is this. If they caught her red-handed, where was the guy? Did they say, Jimmy, run on out of here. It's okay what you did. So I'm reading this passage here this week. And I'm listening to an old CD of, of one of Robert Morse's sermons from years ago. And he starts talking about how this man and woman who are married begin to come to him for counseling. And the little wife begins to break down and cry and the guy owns up that he's in adultery. And Robert Moore says, Jesus will forgive you of sin when you repent of it. But repentance is more than a confession of sin. Repentance is a change of your lifestyle. It's a different direction. And, and, and the young man, and he says he's a young man, over and over in this story, he said the, the young man would, would repent of it, but he'd say, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. 
And he said, I, I kept quoting the Bible to him and saying, in God's eyes, that's sin. And he said, the young man wouldn't heed it. And this went on a period of time and he didn't give the, the time frame. But one day he gets to work and, and they tell him this young man, just out of the blue, he dies. He's dead. And he said, there was really no trace of they couldn't figure out how he died. And so I, I highlight this for us to think, I don't want to play around with sin. I, I, I can't entertain the thought. And, and he highlighted this and he said, this young man had been taught that that's why God gives us grace to sin. I don't need a license to sin. I do well enough without a license. Listen, if you've bought into that teaching that the reason grace is in there so I can sin and do it, Ooh, you, you're deceived. You're, you're playing with a lit stick of dynamite's what you're playing with. Pick back up here. Verse 6. This they said, testing him that they might have something to which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote it on the ground with his fingers, though as he did not hear him. Now, I don't know what he wrote. We're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to watch that rerun. But in, in my imaginations of the scriptures, sometimes Jesus had a sense of humor. And so I really wondered if he didn't write this where they could see it. S-T-U-P-I-D. What kind of stupid are you? That's just my thinking. He, he probably didn't do it that way. Maybe he yeah, had. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. The New Living says, Let the one who's never sinned throw a stone at her first. Jesus has got them. You know why? Because Jesus knows. Romans 3.23 says this. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he knows. So he says, you who without sin, go ahead and stone her. Verse 8. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground the second time. Now, here's how my imagination goes with this one. And if I spell your name here, I'm not doing this at you, okay? But I'm going to use little, little names. And so did he write in the ground? E-D-L-I-A-R. And the guy named Ed sees that written. And then did he see B-O-B? A thief. And I really wondered if that, that wasn't what he started writing on the ground where they could see and they begin to look at that. I don't know, but it's just a thought. Verse 9. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. Do you know God places within every one of us a conscience? And when we see the conviction of our conscience, that's a great thing. 
We, we ought to applaud that. Why do I say that? John 16, 8, it says that God sent the Holy Spirit to convict, to, to convict the world of sin, to deal with our conscience. Do you know it's one of my prayers for my own life every day? I say, Father God, I, I welcome the conviction of sin. I don't want to live in sin. And whether you realize that or not, when I come in here and pray, I walk down these aisles and I lay hands on these and I pray in this house, Father God, I welcome the conviction of sin in here. Not to beat us up, but I know that's the only way we get set free. And so as a church, we ought to well, I don't celebrate I sin, but I know I'm capable of sinning. And so he, he speaks the conviction of their conscience to them and look what begins to happen here. They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Now, I highlight this because this is what happens when the truth of the Word of God is spoken. Only does the truth bring a conviction to us. So they stroll out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Has no one sentenced you? And here's what's interesting about that statement. The only one of them that could have rightly condemned her or rightly stoned her was the Lord Jesus. Look what he says to her. And this is what he says to me and you. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And I want to say that to some of you today. She said to him, Lord, she's a child of God. She said, Lord, no one. And he said, I don't condemn you. And so with, with condemnation, you get guilt, you get shame. And anytime you're guilted and shamed, that's the devil. Romans 8, 2 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So anytime there's condemnation, that's not from Jesus. You know what that verse goes on to say? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. So listen. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now watch what takes place here. The last part of verse 11. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't ignore her sin. Jesus didn't say, go and sin more, because that's what grace is. No, he specifically said, go and sin no more. So when I look at this statement right here that he says, do, do I take that statement as, as a warning as what I can do, or do I take that as mandatory? I've got to obey that. See, again, it's the way I look at that. Now, if we had time, we'd cross-reference this. This is cross-reference just a couple pages back to, to John 5.14. You know what John 5.14 says? You keep on sinning, a worse thing will come upon you. A worse thing. 
So it's, it's interesting thoughts right there. Because I open myself up to sin and I think I can do whatever I want and I keep doing it, it's okay. It's not okay because he specifically said, at least the worst thing come upon you. So it tells me again, the wages of sin is death. And I go back to the story of the young man. He kept playing around with it and he kept playing around with it. And when he was warned over and over again, he chose not to heed the warning. To be truthful with this, I, I'm telling you, there's times when I speak on this, I, I say to the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I, I hate leaving here feeling like this was negative. I, I hate leaving here feeling like I'm, I'm the downer of the church today. Do you know what the Lord spoke to my heart and said? They don't reject you, they reject my word. And my word is the only thing that can set them free. That's this same chapter, John 8, verse 31 and 32. You'd read it. And so understand, my job is to warn. And I'm, I'm not going to withhold the truth again. I, I, don't, I don't want when this thing called eternity come and one of you be in hell and you look up and said, you, you gutless, you little pansy, you little wimp. You knew the truth and you didn't have the guts to tell us. And so I stand before you today and I tell you the truth again. I got to heed what the Lord Jesus said right here. Jesus is in the business of setting people free. He loves every one of us. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.